the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Brought into heaven for a look at the throne of God. That is what we're looking at next on Abounding Grace. Join us. The curtain is pulled back and we are actually told to pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Hi there. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Indeed, the curtain is thrown back, as it were. We've got a clear look at the throne of God. And that's what we'll spend our time on the rest of this week as we continue our survey of Revelation. We're looking at chapter 4 and the throne of God. It's that simple. For today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Today we come to chapters 4 and 5, which are to the very heart of the message of the book of Revelation. The first three chapters, in a very real sense, are an introduction. In the very first chapter, John lays down the principles by which we are to interpret the book. He tells us the purpose of the book, and he introduces us to the main character of the book. Then in chapters 2 and 3, the Apostle John describes the recipients of the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now he comes to chapters 4 and 5, where he pictures the theme and the main emphasis of the book. Then in chapter 6, on toward the end of the book, he works out the theme in describing how Christ is destroying the true two great enemies of the church in the first century, apostate Judaism and anti-Christian Rome. But before he gets there, there is a picture he wants to draw in such vividness that we cannot get it out of our minds because this is the theme of the book of Revelation pictured in chapters 4 and 5. So today, we're going to take a look at chapter 4. Notice first the way this chapter is introduced. It is introduced in verse 1 with two phrases. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, first of all, what is the phrase after these things have reference to? It is not pushing the vision into the far distant future. It's not saying after these things, after history at the end of time. He is simply saying after the things recorded in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, 
with the introduction of the star of the book and the letters to the churches in Turkey, after those things, now there is a voice that comes to me. And what he's talking about in after these things means everything from the first century until the end of the world. After these things, after what I just told you in chapters 1 through 3, now we are going to start talking about things that have taken place in the first century and on up to the end of time. Now, there's another phrase that I need to explain, which is, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, and this is reference, if you can remember, back to chapter 1, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. You know, there are some people, and I hope none of us are among them, who are so devoted to their own theological perspective that they force it on everything. And they find their perspectives in places in the Bible where they really shouldn't find it. Well, that is certainly done by some of the rapturist. Not all of them, fortunately, but a lot of them. They are so anxious to find the rapture in the Bible that they twist many texts in Scripture. Now again, what is the rapture? That is the mistaken view that sometime, any moment, Christ is going to snatch all the Christians off the face of the earth, leaving everyone else behind for a period of tribulation. Now, some of our brothers who are so anxious to find that, find it in three words here. Come up here. So what they are saying is, here is proof of the rapture. To them, as it is as if Jesus is saying to John, come up here and I'll show you some things. And that is that Christ is calling us out of the earth. The problem is that come up here is addressed to John, the apostle, while he is on the island of Patmos in exile for his Christian faith. And this voice is simply telling John, I want you to look at life from here on out from my perspective. That's all he's saying. Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Come up here and look at life from the perspective of my throne. We're going to see that the main point of chapter 4 is the throne. I want you, he says, to look at life from the perspective of the throne of God, John. I don't want you to look at it from your tiny little perspective there on the island of Patmos, isolated from the rest of the world, persecuted because of righteousness' sake. I don't want you to look at life from your own perspective, John. I want you to see that things look very different from the perspective of the throne of God and the perspective of the sovereignty of God. So that's what he's telling John here. I want you to look at things 
not from your perspective, but from my revealed perspective. Then the focus of the vision, the thing that is brought to our attention right from the start, is this throne. Notice what he says in verse 2. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. Now when he says he was in the spirit... He is not describing simply some kind of experience. That's the way this phrase is actually used today. You know, when someone is in the spirit, they're slain in the spirit, and they fall over. And many times they start shaking or dancing or whatever the case may be. What he is saying when he says, I'm in the spirit is what he said back in verse 1, in chapter 1. In verse 10, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. So the same voice that described the resurrected Christ in chapter 1 is the one speaking in the rest of this book. And to say, I am in the Spirit is to say I am under the influence of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Not that I'm experiencing something emotionally. It is an objective phrase. I am in the Spirit. I am under the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit. And He is inspiring me to write the infallible, inerrant Word of God. So that little phrase tells us that this entire book is of divine authority and that every word in it, in it comes from the living God himself and is not simply from the mind of John the Apostle. So what is the first thing he is presented with in this vision? It is a throne standing in heaven. Now, remember, he said in the first chapter that the book of Revelation is written in symbols and figures of speech that have certain points that need to be made. And I'm sure all of you know what the symbol of a throne is. A throne is a symbol of sovereignty, of sovereign rule and control by God over men and history. And this is the throne of the book of revelation god is in charge not the apostate jews not the tyrannical caesars but god sits on the throne above all other thrones at the center of the universe is the sovereign supreme unrivaled throne of god there are a lot of human thrones but this one is superior to them all so whatever, whatever you see in life, brothers and sisters, remember now, even after the fall of Jerusalem, life was rough for Christians. But over the next 200 years, there were 10 waves of persecution of Christians by the Roman Empire. So it was normal for these people to go to church and even expect to be fed to the lions before they returned home or to be tortured or tormented in one way or another. But in spite of all of that, God is saying, John, 
I want Christians to know that I'm in control still. There is a throne above all other thrones. And this emphasis of the sovereignty of God is to be found throughout the book of Revelation in various ways. Let me show you some of those ways. Look at verse 1 again. We're already confronted here with the sovereignty of God. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Beloved, that is the must of divine decree. Why must these things take place? It is because the one on the throne has decreed that they take place. So that what happens in the life of people on earth is not ultimately because of what man does. It is because of what God has decreed. Look at chapter 6. And keep in mind, you find this way of talking throughout this book. Verse 2. I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown, and the crown was given him. That is the divine passive, was given to him. Who gave him this crown? God. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Verse 4. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Who gave to this red horse rider the authority to take peace from the earth? Who gave him a sword by which he would slay men? Who put that sword in his hand? Again, a divine passive. It was God. Verse 8. I looked and behold an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. Who gave this ashen horse rider the authority to use these deadly things upon the enemies of God's people? (coughs) God, the one who sits on this throne. These are some of the ways God exercises his sovereign authority. Look at verse 11, just one more. And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. So here the people of God were given white robes, just like the enemies of God were given the authority to act because they were all under the authority of the living God. John underscores this truth throughout the book of Revelation. God is represented as sitting on a throne in every chapter of the book except four. Chapters 2, 9, 10, and 15. In every other chapter, God is presented as sitting on a divine throne of authority. This idea of a throne is 
presented more than 40 times in the book of Revelation. And it represents the absolute and unlimited government of God over all creation. It is used 15 times in Revelation 4 and 15 alone. So this is the great emphasis and focus of the book of Revelation. God in Christ is sovereign and in control over all the affairs of men, even apostate Judaism and anti-Christian Rome. And of course, the implications of this figure brings comfort to a troubled church under persecution. For it assures us that the wicked men who seem to be running things and who strut and boast and threaten do so only as long as our God allows. But he will most certainly have the last word. The throne means that God's boundless love for his own will not be hindered or slowed down as he charts out our lives. It means that our God does whatever he pleases and no one can stay his hand. So as we read about the hideous beasts and the monsters and temptuous seas, tempestuous seas, and all of the various things that take place in the book of Revelation, understand that there is a hand governing everything that happens. And that is the hand of the one who sits on that throne above all other thrones. Now, let's see what is said about this throne. One thing that is interesting is that the throne is described, but it does not describe the one sitting on the throne. All it says is, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, etc. But it doesn't describe really the one who was seated on the throne. And I think one of the reasons for that is because God is incomprehensible and inconceivable and unknowable except by divine revelation. But this vision of the throne is based upon some of the other visions of the throne of God, God in scripture, which would make a great personal study sometime for one of you. Ezekiel 1, Isaiah 6, Matthew 24, and there are a few other passages that are visions of the throne of God. You might even go home tonight or sometime during the week and study them and, and actually compare them to one another. They are so similar, written by different writers at different periods of time, beloved. Now, we're going to see, as he describes this throne, that he takes his imagery from imagery that has already been used with reference to the throne of God in other places of Scripture. Notice, Again, first, the imagery here in verse 3 of the throne. It says, And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, when you read the book of Revelation, you're supposed to use your imagination. And beloved, you've got to have a pretty vivid and wild imagination for some of the things that we are going to study. This is God's picture book, you might say, at the end of his inscriptured word. 
Here is the throne that governs the whole universe, and it is described in terms of precious stones with a rainbow around the throne. Now turn with me, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 1. The precious stones are not supposed to find some kind of secret meaning in them. It is just the overall impact that this imagery is to make upon you. So look at Ezekiel 1, beginning in verse 26, and we will see where John got this picture. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice speaking. So here you see where John got his description of Christ that he uses in the first chapter of Revelation that led him to fall down on his face. And you see where he gets this picture of the throne of God in the fourth chapter of Revelation. Now, there's an interesting statement here in Ezekiel 1.26. He says, on this magnificent throne, there sits a figure with the appearance of a man. Then in verse 27, he describes this man in gorgeous figures of speech that resemble the Son of Man again in the first chapter of Revelation. So what Ezekiel is saying is that this incomprehensible, inconceivable God that is infinite and transcendent above us is known only by the revelation of himself in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this throne is surrounded with an emerald rainbow. Later on, you know, it talks about Christ's crown as being a rainbow. Now, anyone who knows his Bible at all knows that God had the symbol of the rainbow before Jesse Jackson or the LBG, LBGTQ community. And that a rainbow was God's covenant sign with Noah in which he says, I will never do this again, Noah. I am not going to destroy the whole world with judgment again. I'm not going to cause the world... I am going to cause the world to continue in existence until all of my redemptive purposes are complete. It will not be destroyed by nuclear holocaust, depletion of natural resources, or anything like that. I am going to preserve history and my creation. I will not destroy it in judgment again by water or any which way. I am going to redeem it and guarantee that man does not destroy it until all of my redemptive purposes have been reached. 
Then God puts his rainbow in the sky. Now, I love what the Bible says about this rainbow. You know, God says every time I see the rainbow, I remember to be faithful to the promise I made to you. Not simply every time you see the rainbow, you remember I will be faithful. But God says every time I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant promise to keep everything in place until redemption wins the day. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 